Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Food and Drink Podcast, a series that asks how food and agriculture can achieve impact against the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Here we discuss a diversive issue, palm oil boycotts. Should brands and supermarkets give up palm or work to make it more sustainable? I think it's a cheap marketing trick and it should not be used. This edition features a discussion with Inka van der Schlaus, Head of European Operations at the Roundtable for Sustainable Palm Oil, the RSPO. This podcast is brought to you by Luminar Intelligence Sustainability. I'm Oliver Nyberg, a market analyst for Luminar Sustainability and former editor of food and drink industry publications such as Confectionery News. Two supermarkets in the UK last year banned palm oil and no-label products. Announcing its ban, supermarket Iceland ran a Christmas TV ad in partnership with Greenpeace, highlighting palm's connection to forest destruction and the threat to endangered orangutans. The ad was banned for being too political, but the ad regulators received thousands of consumer complaints, while the YouTube version of the ad has attracted almost 6 million views. Premium department store Selfridges also moved to ban palm oil in own label products last month. Indonesia and Malaysia is home to almost 85% of global palm oil production. There, thousands of hectares of forests are lost each year to meet the growing demand for palm oil, which is used in margarines, biscuits, chocolates, cosmetics and biofuels. Only 19% of global palm oil volumes is RSPO certified, the main standard for sustainable palm oil. But critics claim even those sustainable volumes can't guarantee zero deforestation. I started by asking the RSPO if the palm oil boycotts were therefore justified. So these boycotts by retailers is to get away from a sensitive issue around palm oil. But to a consumer, a boycott suggests that there is something wrong with the ingredient. But in fact, it is all about how it is produced, right? So moving away from palm oil is not solving anything. And of course, we share, that is why the RSPO is founded, we share the concerns around the production and the environmental impact of palm oil. But before you replace it, you should ask yourself what the impact of the alternative is. So we all know that the oil palm, the plant producing palm oil, is four to 10 times more productive in terms of oil yield per hectare than other vegetable oil crops. So if you replace palm oil with another oil, you need more land, that is for sure, no, no, no doubt about that. But you also may have impacts on other forests, other communities, other areas. If you really want to contribute to the solution, you should work with companies to make a supply chain more sustainable. So you're saying be wary of the alternatives to palm because they could be even more environmentally destructive. Yeah, so it's important to understand why they they call for a boycott and why they don't join a movement that is quite significant already to start sourcing sustainable palm oil rather than trying to demonize a crop that for the wrong reasons. I, I think it's a cheap marketing trick and it should not be used. We contacted the UK retailers Selfridges in Iceland. Iceland didn't respond. Selfridges referred us to its press release from which its managing director said, we believe that until certified palm oil guarantees zero deforestation, our customers should be given the option to buy palm oil-free products. 
Greenpeace, which is also quoted in the Selfridges released and worked with Iceland to produce the now banned Iceland ad, said it is not calling on a boycott of palm oil, but said that if the palm oil industry insists in business as usual, that consumer brands would find themselves with no choice but to stop buying palm altogether. Greenpeace alleged that RSPO standards had allowed members to destroy rainforests and exploit workers and displaced communities. It also said that RSPO's new standard published last year will take several years to implement while it said members will continue to clear forests with impunity. I asked RSPO why deforestation was happening and if it was smallholders or large commercial plantations that were the driving force. I don't think we have a good figures on who is is a larger contributor to to deforestation. What we know now these days is that many of the bigger companies are members of RSPO, so they cannot develop to they cannot deforest to develop uh, plantations anymore. Uh, about 40% of the land under production for oil palms is is owned by smallholders. So that's the global average. But then, for example, in countries like Thailand, it's easily 80%. Globally, 40% of the land area under production is, is uh, owned by smallholders, which also means that you have a challenge if you want to uh, move to sustainable production because smallholders are more difficult to reach and have in general, lower awareness around the issues. But why, in your view, is forest destruction occurring in the first place? Oil palms originate from West Africa, right? And the, the, the plants were brought to Asia, where it's not native, but uh, grown and successfully grown, so with high yields. And it has brought uh, an enormous economic growth to countries like Malaysia, for example. So it's grown in areas where there is high biodiversity, where we have forests, where we have species that we all care about, like the orangutan. So we have to consider how you develop agricultural land. So, for example, uh, oil palm plantations often have replaced rubber plantations. There's nothing wrong with that. But if there's no land available and just forest, in the past there was deforestation, not just for wood, not just for other commodities, also for palm oil. So there is, there is uh, a link between agricultural commodities and deforestation. And palm is often highlighted in that discussion, but it's certainly not the biggest contributor to it. I mean, we we are talking about here um, retailer-owned brands, and you know, so far we've seen it only from, as far as I'm aware, from Selfridges and Iceland in 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 the UK, and you know, they may still well stock third-party brands containing con- containing palms. So these are bans for a few niche retailers for private label, and you know, mainly mainly in the UK. We did some some research as well on chocolate products around um, 1,400 chocolate products in uh, 20 different countries and we found that only around only around 10 of those products made a, a no palm oil claim so, so I mean it doesn't look like a, a mainstream phenomenon either making no palm oil claims or, or banning palm oil from from products but how likely do you think it is that big brands and bigger retailers will impose these these kind of bans and, and make these communications on no palm oil in on pack 
Yeah, so we see an increase in no palm claims on PAC, and we understand that consumers don't really read uh, packaging, but they do. They are tempted to buy something where there is a negative claim. So it's not about palm per se. It could also be about sugar, or it can be about gluten or whatever. Like uh, people read because of uh, allergies is, is very obvious, but they read something and they perceive it as healthier a healthier option because it has a no dot 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 claim. So it's not it's 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 actually quite misleading to have a no palm oil claim on pack uh, to increase your sales. It's a very short sighted. So if you move away from it from for your chocolate, for your products that you produce, that is a choice. And the impact will be very small because the the retailers that you mentioned have tiny volumes of palm in them. But if there's no demand for sustainable palm oil, what do you think will happen? So if we move away from it, first of all, it's the, the companies that are working hard to make it sustainable are affected because they have explanations to do why they don't face out this, this ingredient. Second of all, where will the demand for sustainable material come from if we don't do it, right? These plantation companies have markets. Europe is not the biggest market, right? We are the fourth global market. So consumption is much higher in India, Indonesia, China, and then Europe is, is in the fourth place. So if uh, certain retailers in certain Western markets say, I don't use palm oil, it's not going to improve the sustainability of the sector. Let's talk more about what sustainable palm oil actually actually means and, and, and what it is in November last year um, RSPO adopted a new a new standard what shortcomings have been addressed by the new RSPO standard so this is a very lengthy process and we do it with all of our stakeholders uh, every five years so the new principles and criteria for the growers have a no deforestation clause no planting on peat, we have stricter labor rights, we've introduced the decent living wage, uh, plantation companies are responsible for, for fires, so they're not allowed to use fires for clearing land, but they also are responsible for um, fires in the vicinities of their plantations. And, and uh, you may remember 2015 being a very dry year where we had lots of forest fires and smoke. So that's a really important improvement as well. And then the last point I want to make is um, that there is uh, more efforts in the in the standards on smallholders. So you have smallholders that are contracted by mills, and the mills are responsible for bringing those smallholders also to the same standard. And at the same time, this year we're uh, um, drafting a new standard for independent smallholders, smallholders who are not contracted by mills, where we have a stepwise approach for uh, them to reach the same level of compliance. What's the difference between the classification of deforestation from the old standard to the new? Okay, so in the previous standard, we also had a no deforestation clause, but uh, it is about the definition of forests. So in the current or the previous standards, we say you cannot deforest areas that are uh, important for biodiversity, rare and endangered species, but also communities, for example. And then in the new standard, 
we have included the high carbon stock approach, and that has been developed with organizations like Greenpeace and others, where you don't all, uh, only def define forests by the, the, uh, the species that you have or the communities that are important to preserve, but also based on the carbon stock that a forest uh, holds. So it's a, it's a different type of methodology to calculate the forests that you need to preserve in order to have that carbon storage. Some people are worried that the RSPO ban on members clearing high carbon stock forests will be difficult to enforce. So just how will that new rule be enforced and you know, how do the audits take place? So what, um, what is necessary before you start planting as, a, as, a, as an RSPO member is that you have to have that assessment done before you, def before you start planting your uh, oil pumps. And an independent assessment needs to be done, so by experts, to calculate the, the carbon stock. So it's an established methodology, so I have no concerns that, uh, that, uh, that, that there will be compliance. But I suppose that's, that's an initial audit when they go to plant palm in the first instance, but what if they're you know, next to a, a forested area, what about expansion? So this is, this is, I mean, I'm not going to say easy, but it's relatively easy to monitor uh, the, the preservation of uh, areas of members because you can see by satellite imaging uh, what is there and how landscapes change, right? So if it needs to be preserved, the landscape cannot change. On the other hand, it's far more challenging to monitor social compliance, right? Because you cannot measure that in the same sense. If people were concerned about enforcement of the previous standard, why should they trust RSPO this time? Yeah, I mean, there's always concerns and there's always complaints. What I think is important about the RSPO is that there's a tool to work with, uh, with the, the complainants. So we have... A, independent complaints panel. So if there is uh, evidence for violation of the rules, they can go to the, to the panel and file an official complaint. And what uh, this panel does then is, is look into the complaint and see whether that was uh, a grounded complaint or, or not. Those companies that have in the past been in violation of either national regulation or, or, or of IRSPO standards. I mean, they've already, you know, potentially cleared forest and the damage is already done, but will they still be able to call themselves sustainable if they from now on comply with the new standard? I mean, the land's already been cleared. In case uh, the, 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 there was evidence that clearing took place, they have to compensate for that loss. So you can imagine that they, for example, need to preserve a different area that is under their ownership. So they have to compensate. The idea is, I, I know where you're getting to, the idea is that we want all production to be sustainable. If you kick them out, and we sometimes do, huh? I mean, sometimes you have to make a hard decision and kick a member out. But usually it's under suspension because we want, eventually we want them to come back make up for the loss that they have uh, created and change their behavior for the future. I, on that point of making up, making up for the loss, how, how does that actually work in, in practice? If, if you've, because it's always a hazy area, how much 
how many hectares, for example, have been cleared and, you know, it's, it's, in, it's environmental impact anyway. And I guess it's difficult to know how much has been cleared in the first place. Then how do you go about compensating and making up for, for, for the wrong already done? Mm. So, for example, say that a company wants to become a member of RSPL today. They have to declare their liability. So if they have cleared before 2005, they have to declare that they have done that before they can become a member of RSPL. What's, what's, what's to say they will, will declare that? I mean, that, that relies on, you know, the company's being honest in their own definitions of of what constitutes high carbon stock for us, surely? So for high carbon stock, the threshold is different. Eh? So for high carbon stock, it's the PNC uh, renewal date. So it's in November 2018. But, but I was giving an example of, say, that they have cleared land before 2005. Uh, that has uh, impo- uh, or had important uh, biodiversity or or other uh, important reasons that it should have been preserved. They have to declare that they have cleared that land, and they have to compensate for it. So it can be money, but it can also be conservation projects to contribute to conservation projects. You cannot change what you have done right since 2005, but you can compensate for that loss. How do you judge if a company's adequ- adequately made up for the loss? There's there's experts doing that. It's not RSPO themselves. We outsource that. We have a methodology that they then um, um, judge the uh, the plan by, and they have to make that assessment whether that is sufficient or not. And if it's not sufficient, they need to change the plans. Within the, the RSPO's new standard, can a monoculture of palm can that be called sustainable within the within the standard? Yes, it can be monoculture. I mean, if you have a you know a mono a monoculture, and then presumably that won't attract the the biodiversity that would you know preserve habitats for 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 animals. So I mean, why why not try to promote more biodiversity on a farm? What is in the standard and what was in the, in the previous standard is a good example of where you don't see monocultures. Is around rivers, plantation companies have to keep a buffer zone. And I've been to Malaysia to a plantation where I was actually very impressed. I never really believed in recreating nature because I'm a biologist and I don't think that you can recreate nature. But what I saw there was really impressive. So, in fact, that company had deforested up to the river. And then they became an RSPO member and they they uh, looked into the buffer zone requirement and replanted the, the, the buffer zone with native species of plants and, um, and slowly the animals also came back. And these, especially around the river, you can create really uh, corridors, right, for, for animals to migrate to other uh, regions. I mean, but, but is there not something fundamentally wrong with calling almost any kind of palm sustainable because would it not be better for land under palm production even if that does meet RSPO standards for for that land to be protected and you know free of free of palm entirely because you know there are reports of 
you know orangutans being clubbed to death by 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 palm workers and palm plantations you know allowing easy access for for, for poachers so even even if it wasn't a monoculture and there was intercropping it's an agricultural environment with humans and it's you know it's not the best environment for for animals even if we do call it sustainable yeah i i think you call from france and we all find it beautiful landscape full of sunflowers but that's monoculture as well and there was something else i assure you there was something else on sunflowers before uh the farmers cleared the land and uh, planted sunflowers palm oil is the most consumed vegetable oil in the world we have to find a solution for making that more sustainable with the increasing population we will see an increase in the consumption of palm oil also with the increase in welfare we've seen increase uh, in the use of palm oil so we have to find ways to do that in a sustainable way if you don't use the palm oil and you would use sunflower or any other <laughs> vegetable oil you would need more land and you would potentially threaten other uh, species and other communities there are many different ways palm is listed on ingredients lists throughout throughout the world and there doesn't seem to be any standardized real standardization so if a consumer wanted to as these retailer bands sort of publicized if they wanted to avoid palm or they wanted to buy sustainable rspo palm i mean how can they how can they do that when it's not really clear even on ingredients lists if it's even there. Yeah, yeah, good point. It's hard for the consumer to differentiate because uh, palm oil is, a, is an oil that can be uh, fractionated, for example. If you fractionate palm oil, you have olein and stearine. So what you can see on a package is palm oil, uh, palm olein, palm stearine. But then you also have palm kernel oil, and for example, for day cream or lipstick or uh, shampoo, um, it's often derivatives of palm kernel oil being used. And that word will be like uh, uh, not a name that contains palm oil. It may say glycerin and glycerin may be palm based, can also be based on other vegetable oils. So it's hard for the consumer to recognize whether they're using palm or not. And then on top of that, Companies often don't communicate about their sustainable sourcing of palm oil. And the reason for that is, is very different from, from chocolate, for example, where you buy chocolate for the quality of the, the cocoa or uh, the, the fair treatment of the, of the workers or the farmers. Uh, you don't buy palm oil for palm oil, right? You buy bread and it, bread contains baking fat and the baking fat may contain palm oil. So, Companies produce products where, in which palm is a minor ingredient. So companies often don't communicate about this ingredient being sustainable. So for consumers, it's very hard. And I hope that uh, uh, the, the, the proud members of the RSPO start to communicate more about their sustainable sourcing. For example, uh, India, Indonesia and China. Uh, it's very important to uh, to see uptake there, so that the growers are stimulated to to certify more more of their plantations. I saw that a survey in the in, in the UK um, found that only 
5% of UK consumers could recognize the RSPO logo. So if you want to promote sustainable palm, how do you get that message across that a product is sustainable if hardly anyone knows the logo? So this supply chain is not driven by consumer demand. The supply chain change in Europe, and don't forget that we're already importing 74% sustainable palm oil, so lots of sustainable palm oil uh, going into Europe. That has been a result of the work with the consumer goods manufacturers and the retailers. It's not consumer demand that is driving that change. So, so you're predicting that demand for global palm is is expected to to, to grow. In in which countries is it is it expected to to grow? So what we expect is that what we know it's 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 growing in Latin America, and we also expect it to grow in Africa. And of course, there we have concerns about uh, expansion as well. Because uh, Malaysia is sort of uh, what is uh, oil and the production of oil palm will stay, and there's no, no room for uh, expansion. The the cons- conservation areas have been appointed and are conserved, so that sort of there's no growth for Malaysian companies in Malaysia. Indonesia is is uh, the largest global uh, producer. Uh, so there you still see some expansion, but the, the the majority of the expansion at this moment is Latin America, where it doesn't necessarily replace forests. Eh? I'm not saying that it's it's an issue in Latin America per se, because there's a lot of degraded land in Latin America and there's high yielding uh, high yields for oil palms there. But in Africa, I'm, I'm very concerned. The areas that that are very suitable for oil palm are very high, highly forested nations, and uh, and of course poverty is extremely high in, in in those regions as well. So the question is, how do you get, like, how do you lift people below the national poverty line? How do you develop while maintaining those forests? I think that the biggest issue will be uh, with that in Africa. Nineteen percent of global palm is RSPO certified. I mean that leaves the vast majority of palm production not covered. So, I mean, what are your forecasts for RSPO certified palm in the next few years? Uh, of course, our mission is to move to to 100% uh, sustainable palm oil, which is which is shown to be extremely challenging. If you if you look on our website, you see uh, an exponential growth in the in the initial years of RSPO. Um, which was was very successful, and now we, we it looks like uh, the growth is stabilizing, and we need to to look into why that is happening. And one of the explanations could be that uh, the market for sustainable palm oil is currently Europe and um, and the US, and we need to move beyond that point. We need to have more market demand in other large uh, consuming areas. And that brings us to the end of our podcast. There's an accompanying text article for this podcast available on food industry news website Food Navigator with more information and a comments box to post your view. Please do check out Lumina Intelligence Sustainability for tools and insights on sustainable palm, cocoa, coffee and tea. I'm Oliver Nyberg. Thank you and goodbye.